Hey, next on the T Nation, thanks for tuning in to this segment of the show featuring our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. And thank you for making Next on the T a finalist this year at the Sports Podcast Awards for the best golf podcast. I need your votes now to get over the top and bring home the title. You can go online to sportspodcastgroup.com forward slash shortlist dash category and then click on the awards tab and then down to 2023 shortlist and find best golf podcast and then vote for next on the T. I know it's a little bit effort. I appreciate the fact that you're willing to do it. You guys are the best listeners in all of podcasting. I really appreciate all of your wonderful support. Enjoy the segment. I always like to kick things off by reminding you about our friends over at the Macklemore. We are partnering again with them this season. And as you guys know, my buddies and I have gone there for our annual golf trip the last two years. And it's such a wonderful place. The accommodations that they give you are fantastic. But the practice facility is great, complete with driving range and their Himalayas putting course. Plus, they've got a six-hole short course, which is a great way to warm up before your round or have a lot of fun and play with a wedge and beer in hand following your round. The on-premise restaurant is called The Craig. They have great food and service. And to say the course is spectacular is an understatement. It's co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. PGA Tour caddy and one of my favorite guests here on the show, Kip Henley, said, outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. Golf Digest agreed naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. And Lynx Magazine doubled down on that, naming it one of the top 10 finishing holes in all of golf. See for yourself how outstanding the course and the resort are by going online to themaclemore.com. And let's talk about grips, folks. I want to remind you about our friends over at Lampkin Grips because every shot has its own unique feel. The trick? Feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus Black Grips. Let's talk about our connection to the club, folks. And let's talk about our friends over at Lampkin Grips because every shot has its own unique feel. The trick? Feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus Black Grips. Composed of their Genesis material that provides supreme comfort and durability, while their fingerprint technology creates a strong connection and unforgettable touch. The game changes from shot to shot. The feel in your hand shouldn't, though. Lampkin. Feel is everything. I also want to remind you about our friends over at TaylorMade and their all-new Stealth 2 driver. If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver, it's distance, but there's also another thing we want, and that's forgiveness. And that's why TaylorMade designed the Stealth 2 driver with even more carbon and even more forgiveness. To learn more about the new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade, visit them online at taylormadegolf.com. I also want to tell you about Lampkin Grips. Every shot has its own unique feel. The trick? Feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus Black Grips. Composed of our Genesis material that provides supreme comfort and durability, while fingerprint technology creates a strong connection and unforgettable touch. The game changes from shot to shot, but the feel in your hand shouldn't. Lampkin. Feel is everything. Okay, now back in Next on the Tee with me. Just like we have been blessed for the last several seasons, we get to have that blessing again this season is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. You can find Tom at Crown Colony Golf and Country Club in Naples, Florida. So if you're anywhere near Southwest Florida 
and you want to play your best golf ever this season, go online to TomPatry.com and book a lesson. If you can't get down to Naples, download the V1 video app and send Tom videos of your swing through the app. Please check out his website, like I say, TomPatry.com, but also give him a follow on Instagram at TomPatryGolf. Don't forget to subscribe to his YouTube channel where you can watch over 300 free video lessons. Tom is also a member of the Titleist Leadership Advisory Board. He is in the Florida Southern University Athletics Hall of Fame, and he is also, and I just learned this today, in the Sunshine State Conference Hall of Fame. Not sure how much it cost him to get in there, but I verified he is, in fact, an inductee, and I'm very excited he is back with me again this season on Next on the T. Good evening, TP. How are you, my friend? Chrissy boy, here we go. <laughs> here we go is right. Before we get started, now this is kind of a milestone episode for us, my friend. 70th, really? 70th time you've been a, a part of this show. So, so clearly I'm bringing you down on a bi-weekly basis, having me on 70 <laughs> times. <laughs> if, you can't, if you can't do better than me 70 times, you, you might want to think about checkers or chess or something, something else. <laughs> I haven't got my Tom Patrick money like Florida Southern and the Sunshine Conference did. Oh so God, I, I may I may need to work on that. By the by the way, both those inductions were in a previous century. So that that, <laughs> that yeah, there you go. <laughs> so and another thing that's different between us this year is we've actually seen each other in person now. Yeah, how about that? We had we had a good time, Chris. It was great yeah, having dinner did. with you at the PGA show. Uh we partnered up there at the show with uh, Jeff Lofsted and Meredith Shuler from the South Florida PGA, and uh, they were they were nice they were nice enough to join us and meet you. And it was it was so great to finally meet you in person. That was really enjoyable. Uh, my my thanks to you, my friend. Thanks for the invite. Thanks for the night. It was one of the better nights that I've had in a long time. So I appreciate you, my friend. All right, so let's get into it, Tom. The the battle between the PGA Tour and Live continues to dominate golf news the pga tour has reacted to live by essentially copying everything they do most recently they decided that all the changes that they made last year on the pga tour like making the top players play in all but one of the elevated events or throwing at that out for next year players won't have to do that because you know that's just too many tournaments that they have to play hmm. in maybe they'll get back down to the 15 that they used to be or maybe the 14 like they do over on live they got 20 million dollar purses now just like live there's no cut events next season. Reduced fields for those events as well, just like they do on Live. They had a players-only meeting today, Tom. I'm sure you saw that. And I'm guessing that they, they are going to announce that those guys can wear shorts too because that's about the only thing that they're not doing on the PGA, the, uh, PGA Tour that they are doing on Live. So help me understand, TP. Why didn't the Tour just do all of this stuff last year and save us all the heartache? So, Chris, first of all, uh, the PGA Tour and Liv have nothing to do with each other. Let me make a few points that you missed. And I, I don't want to correct you because, you know, you know, you're one of my favorite idols in the whole world. But <laughs> let's just step back. The PGA Tour um, plays 72 holes. OK, they don't shotgun start. They don't have blaring music. And it's actually a competitive event. And the bottom of the field in a regular PGA Tour event, in a non-elevated tour event, the last 20 players in that field could give the last 20 players on the live tour shots on each side and beat them easily. So let's not get carried away. Okay. <laughs> One has nothing to do with the other. The PGA tour is, is the elite tour on this planet and live is nothing but a, uh, a glorified golf. Island. All right. So let's take that a step further. 
Where's Live Golf two years from now? Do they exist? Have they folded the tents <clears throat> up? Have they merged back into the PGA Tour? Where do you think they are? Well, for our, for our listeners out there, um, you and I, they don't know, you and I talk on a regular basis most mornings when I'm on my way to work. A lot of time, we talk about things that are going on. And I told you uh, point blank, I think we made a little wager the other morning that I think two years from now, Live doesn't exist. Um, the, the ratings for the first CW broadcast were, were just a, a fraction behind the Andy Griffith show and reruns <laughs> of F Troop. So, so that tells you who was tuned in. I don't know who was tuned in, but it was somebody in Slovakia, in the mountains of Slovakia, watching, <laughs> watching that event. So uh, they have no juice. They're getting, they're, I think they have less juice on a daily basis. Um, I don't think they exist two years from now. You're not buying that they had 3.2 million uh, viewers last week uh, across all platforms. You know, you're not buying that number. And I think when we we look at that number and we look at where those numbers came from, they were from some pretty obscure places, places on the planet. Um, (laughs) You know, they weren't us numbers. That's for sure. Um, Listen, golf is a worldwide game. There's no doubt about it. But unless you have U.S. viewership and a, and a very, very healthy U.S. viewership, you're not going anywhere. So um, if you want to tune in to CW and, and catch their 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 um, broadcast right after the Andy Griffith show and right before F Troop, <laughs> you, you go right ahead. There is no way I'm tuning in to watch a shotgun start with blaring music and, and no cut. Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to listen. Can you name? Can you name the 10th through 15th money winners on the live tour currently? No. Okay, good. And you obviously the household names you can name and you probably get about 10 deep because you, you watch golf. You're, you're a golf yeah, yeah. fan. I'm a golf fan. We, we could name the top 10 players pretty easily, but after you get out of 10, you'd be struggling to name 11 through 20. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Okay. You know, so Let's just stop the nonsense. It's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not even golf. Keep going. Next topic, please. <laughs> All right. So we're, we're on the heels of the Arnold Palmer Invitational. And, and Tom, I couldn't believe how many short putts the guys were missing Ooh. during the final round, especially Jordan Spieth, who probably should have won the tournament going away, but he couldn't make a five footer. Jordan Spieth looked a little bit like my uh, third place finishing at Crown Colony's Ladies Club Championship this past week. Um, that was that was a you know, Chris. Here's the one thing I don't understand. I, I still don't get this. Let's go back a couple years to Jordan Spieth's most remarkable year. I mean, he had an inc- he had an epic year. What was that? Seventeen 15, or eighteen? Fifteen. 15. That's a long time ago now. Fifteen. Yeah. Do you remember that he putted not only? He putted remarkably well and unbelievably well from 10 feet and in. And if you remember and go back to those broadcasts, he was putting, you know, kind of, kind of radically looking at the hole. Okay. Yep. He, was, he would set up, he'd turn and look at the hole and he'd make the stroke. He made everything, everything. Okay. Yep. So he obviously has that on film and on video captured. You know, he, he knows that that's what he was doing to make those putts. Why? Why, why did he go away from that? And, and as bad as it is right now, why wouldn't he go back to it and try it again? Right. Explain right. That to me. I mean, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, not only did he miss those four or five, five or six footers coming down a stretch, he didn't touch the hole. Right. He, I mean, he didn't, it wasn't even close. 
It was god awful. Um, I don't get it. I, I'm sorry, I just don't get it. And Tom, over the years, we've heard players complain about how hard Bay Hill is. Last year, <coughs> it was actually the toughest course on tour outside of the majors. We you, you you look you look back at guys that you know the the greens are too crusty, they're too fast, they're too this, they're too that. Is Bay Hill too tough? Uh, is Oakland too tough? Is Shinnecock too tough? You know, is is Olympic Club too tough? Is Oakland Hills too tough? Is Oak Hill too tough? Um, no, I mean, listen, people like, I think birdies are entertaining. Eagles are certainly entertaining. One of the reasons that we love the Masters is all the drama on the back nine on Sunday, the reachable par fives and things that can be done coming down the stretch. But you know what? I like to see those boys grind it out sometimes. You know, I, I, enjoy, I, I don't, I gotta tell you as a, as a golf fan, I enjoy seeing them, you know, with a little bit of heat and a little bit of struggle. Um, it makes them mortal. You know, it makes them human yes. again. You know, yeah. um, is Bay Hill tough? Bay Hill is very difficult. And is Bay Hill set up very difficult? Extremely difficult. And you get those greens, you take the water off those greens coming into the weekend, they get a little crusty and a little bit firm and fast and you have deep Bermuda rough and, and you get the wind blowing a little bit in Orlando, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a picnic by any stretch of the imagination. Do I think we should back off on it? Not really. I think the objection, Chris, is that the Florida swing, when you play PGA national in a non elevated event, which is a hard golf course, and then you come to Bay Hill and then you go to TPC. And by the way, a non elevated event at Valspark at Copperhead is a hard golf course too. That's a that's a tough stretch of golf right there, um, for both for the elevated events and the non-elevated events. So, is that too much in a short time period where they just getting their brains beat in? It's it's certainly not easy. It's not. Yeah. I mean, they, those guys probably look at that Florida swing. Oh man, I'm glad that was over. <laughs> I got out of there. I'm still breathing. You know. You actually got to spend some time with Mr. Palmer <clears throat> at both Bay Hill and Latrobe Country Club. What was that like? You know, um, Arnold had this unique ability um, to, you know, while you were, pardon my French, crapping your pants from meeting him for the first time, he had this unbelievable ability to make you instantly comfortable. He made it about you. Uh, he didn't make it about him. Uh, he was genuinely interested in what you were doing in your life and what you're doing in your golf game. Um, he was extremely passionate. Now, we know how passionate he was. That, that's well documented. Um, I fell in love with the guy. Uh, I, I was a fan before I met him, a huge fan. I mean, he and Seve were always my two heroes. Um, and there's a lot of similarities between those two in terms of their passion and the way they went about playing the game. But uh, the first time I met him, I had I had lunch with him with a man named Jim Bell, who was tournament director at Bay Hill for a while and a good friend of his. I didn't know I was going to have lunch with him. Jim kind of surprised me. Uh, when he walked across the dining room at Bay Hill to sit down with us, I was – I was choking like a dog. I was, I was, a, I was a 20 year old junior at Florida Southern and uh, he sat down and within, I'm telling you, cause within 90 seconds, he made you feel comfortable and at ease. Uh, he had that ability that, you know, was, it was a unique ability to do that. And uh, I, 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 you know, it was whatever I felt about him before that meeting, it was quadrupled after that meeting. He was just a special dude. And then I got, I got a chance, like you said, uh, the year before he passed to spend a day with him up at Latrobe. Um, I'd never been there before. And, and that was something I'll never forget ever, ever. For those of us that want to make the trek to Latrobe now, is it a 
is it a beautiful golf course? Is it is it more of a you know kind of a museum in in honor of Mr. Palmer and how he got started? What's what's Latrobe like? We have we've never seen it. For you know, obviously we get to see Bay Hill at the at the API, but we yeah. never see what Latrobe's like. I I don't call Latrobe a country club. I call it a club in the country. You know, it's uh, it was his home. It was uh, it, it's 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 not ostentatious at all. It's kind of very very laid back. It's tucked away in Western Pennsylvania. There's a barn out on the property, and in that barn, I got to visit it uh, because of Arnold. Um, that that has every single artifact you can imagine from his career stored in that barn. The Pennzoil tractors in there, every golf bag he ever had after he turned professionals in there, every Ryder Cup bag, every pair of golf shoes he ever owned is in there. Wow. Every golf. Now think about this: every golf club he's ever owned is in there. Um, every advertisement, poster board. Uh, picture that was on TV is hung on the wall. It's a, it is a, it's like a museum, and uh, I think you can probably arrange to see it by by calling out there. And, and you know they they actually uh, were very open about letting the group of guys I brought there go see it and, and walk through it and everything. It's it's a phenomenal place. I'm hoping, and I've heard rumor that they're going to uh, restore the facility and and clean it up and and spruce it up and build some lodging and possibly turn the barn into a museum if that happens if that happens it's like a trip to mecca on on the golf side uh it's a must do um but it reeks of arnold every every place you turn in every corner you turn um it, it was it was a special day spending time there with him tom let's switch gears a little bit and as one of the the best instructors ever in this game as far as i'm concerned um want to get your thoughts, particularly um, the, the impact an instructor can have at, on players at the top level, at the pro level. We talked about a month ago about the impact uh, that instructors can have and guys returning <clears throat> to previous coaches. And your thoughts, if Tiger had never had Butch, if Butch was never in his life as, as an instructor, do you think Tiger, with his immense talent, still has the same career that we've seen him have? Or, or is some of that, at least a little bit of that, due to Butch's influence in teaching? I think certainly Tiger, um, you know, if, if asked honestly, uh, during those early years, if Butch elevated his game and, and took him to a place he hadn't dreamed of being before. Listen, Tiger Woods is an incredible talent. Don't get me wrong. Would he have been Tiger the way we know him today without those early years of Butch? That's hard to say. I, I, I'd have to push the no button on that one. Um, Butch is a very special talent, um, just like Tiger is a special talent. And there's certain combinations of people that get together different parts of their career, like Ledbetter with Faldo. You, know, you can talk about certain relationships, Chuck Cook with Payne Stewart. Um, you, can, you can go to certain relationships in golf that are very, very unique and very impactful. And I think that was maybe the most unique and impactful combination ever. I'll go a step further, Chris. I, I would venture to guess that if they had never had their falling out, um, Tiger would already be at Nicholas's record. Um, I really believe that. I mean, I think that that relationship was that special. Uh, I think it's a shame historically that they had their they had their falling out and everything because that was a very very unique relationship uh, with you know maybe the best player that walked on the planet and, and in my opinion, in my opinion, the best instructor in the game ever in Butch Harmon. Yeah, so that. Uh, to your point, and I've had Gary Player say this on this show several times, that if Tiger had never changed his swing, he would have won 25 
to 30 majors. And, and we know that there was a lot of pressure on the knees and, and stuff like that from the golf swing that he had. But to your point, if he sticks it out with Butch and, and they make whatever adjustments they needed to make to take some of the pressure off, boy, did he win 20, 25, 30 majors? I, I think he wins more majors than Nicholas won. Let's put it that way. I don't know if we get the third. That's a, that's a pretty incredible number. But we get, we get, we get, we, we edge Jack out at this point. And, and, uh, and, and I think Butch was also, um, you know, with Earl passing away, I think Butch would have been a much more stable influence. I think, I think when Earl passed away, um, Tiger got a little bit off, off the, uh, off the freeway yeah. and, and down some side roads there a little bit personally. Uh, I think Butch would have been a little bit more stable influence, a little more of a father figure too, as well. Butch is, Butch is a unique combination, Chris, of an incredible X's and O's guy, but also an incredible mentor and an, an incredible coach. And coaching golf and teaching golf are very different, very very different skill sets. Um, I've worked very hard in my career to become a better coach with my better players, uh, and, and Butch has influenced me in thinking that way. Um, as has Bill Strasbaugh and some other people, but, um, yeah, I think, the, I think, I think we would have seen, you know, incredible records set under Butch's tutelage. Yeah. Tom, let's talk about being an, an instructor nowadays, because when you and I grew up a very different time, now young players, parents of those young players, they all want to hear about how good little Johnny is or how good little Susie is. They all want participation trophies for just being involved and being out there playing. And, and we grew up and it wasn't that way at all. What's it like being an instructor in today's world? I think if I participated in that, in that uh, genre, I, I would have a lot more money in my bank account right now. Um, <laughs> uh, a lot more money. And, and I, I, but I, I don't think I could also sleep at night if I did that. Um, I, I have a, I have a huge objection to that philosophy. Um, I don't know. Not only think it's good for their golf. I don't think it's good for their life skills and, and their future. Um, it's it's a, as you know, and as I know, and people listening know, it's a it's a pretty tough world out there in 2023. And um, softening up Johnny or or Mary, um, and patting him on the back and telling them they're wonderful when they're not, is is not a great direction to go. Um, I get accused constantly of being a little bit too tough on my students sometimes. Um, and when they leave me, I go back and I remember what Bill told me, Bill Strasberg told me a lot of time, long time ago, he said, if they leave you, Tom, they never were yours anyway. Um, and the people who stay with me tend to be successful in, in their, in their journey. Um, you know, I, 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 uh, I do things a certain way. It's not for everybody. Um, but I look back at the kids that I've developed, not only as golfers, but as human beings. And they're, they've been pretty damn successful as human beings. So I'm going to keep doing what I do. Tom, I'm going to do something that's very painful for me to do, and that's give you credit for something you told me a couple of weeks ago. You know how much I hate that. Um, <laughs> and I think you're going to be right about this one. And you were telling me about Pearson Cootie. You told me to watch out for this kid, that he's going to be really good. Talk about why you think that. I, uh, I had the pleasure of, uh, of caddying for one of my college players, I think two years ago in the Jones Cup on uh, on Sea Island at Ocean Forest. And we were paired with Pearson Cootie two rounds during that tournament. It was a very difficult golf course in very difficult condition. 
very difficult weather conditions. And I'd heard about Pearson and Parker Cootie, the twins that went to Texas, uh, although I'd never seen them live. Um, and Pearson was in our group in the, uh, I think the second and third rounds, if I'm not mistaken, because I'm thinking back. But um, I have never been in my 44 years as impressed with a young man hitting golf shots under difficult conditions on a hard golf course for two days as I was by this kid. Um, not only does he have length, but he has the ability to find the center of the club face on a very regular basis. He has the ability to control his trajectories, his shot shapes. He can go both ways with it. He can turn it right to left. He can hold it off and move it to the right if he has to. His trajectory control, which is always a sign for me of a good player playing in windy conditions, was phenomenal. Uh, his touch and feel around the greens were, was, were, were, were tour quality. He rolled the ball with the flat stick, which you know, short game, short game, short game, catches my eye right away. He had great speed control on the greens. He had great imagination on the greens. I didn't see a flaw in his game. I didn't see anything. He has very good length, extremely good length. He's not a big person, but he's a very, very – he's what I call a little wide body. He looks like a little a little spark plug. I mean, he's just wide and strong, um, creates a lot of speed, but he controls the face of the club beautifully. Um, and he I just, just impressed me. And, and, and by the way, a really nice kid, really nice kid. And as we wow. know, his grandfather was Charlie Cootie, who won the Masters. So he's right. got some pretty, pretty good DNA. His brother Parker's not bad either, by the way. Uh, I think Pearson's a little bit better. Um, and I just thought, I said, this kid's a no, this is like, you know, and listen, we've had, we put that no miss tag on a lot of people and, yeah. and it's not happened, but I think the, the real serious golf fan out there should keep an eye on, on Pearson Cootie. And as you know, we had a nice showing this past week. Yeah, no tied for 14th at Bay Hill. So yeah, we've seen him come along. He actually, uh, the week before at the Honda had, had a nice opening round and, and made the cut there too. I think one of the things that you said, and it's and it's hard, it's it's got to be really hard to coach. You, you see, he's he's not afraid of anything. He's not afraid of the moment. It's not going to get too big for him. How do you teach your students to handle when it comes time for the big moment? I try to put them in situations, Chris. A lot, you know. I'm, I'm I I'll give you a very very um, low level example. I've got two ladies at Crown County right now who are really good athletes. Uh, one played college basketball and coach college basketball uh, on a big time level. And she's a really good athlete and she's really struggling with the moment a lot right now and trying to be competitive. Um, golf is different. You know, I mean, when we play your reactionary sports, like you play shortstop and they hit a line drive it, you react to catch it. When you're, when you're, when you're dribbling down court and you make a cross court bounce pass to somebody breaking down the right wing, if that's a reactionary move, tennis, you react to a serve. Golf, we have too much time to think. We, we walk between shots. Uh, you know, we have a lot of time to think about what just happened and what's about to happen. It's very, very hard. There's two things you can't control. You can't control the past that already happened, and you can't control the future. It hasn't happened yet. You have to be in the moment in golf. And, and sometimes the moment is prolonged. And when, you, when you're in a prolonged moment and you're, you're having trouble breathing and choking your guts out, it takes a special skill set to stay calm to calm your heartbeat, to think clearly and make good decisions, and then swing the golf club in a, in a reasonable tempo and balance and find the middle of the club face. Uh, I don't think the general public watching people play professional golf on TV, whether it's the ladies tour or the men's tour, realize how special these people are when they hit a, a, you know, a, a six iron from 183 yards in a crosswind 
over a bunker to a back left pin, you know, off a downhill side hill lie. I'm just making that up, but you understand what I'm saying. It, it's, it's an incredible skill. Uh, it's an incredible skill. And, and it takes really, really staying in the moment to do those things. Uh, it's, it's, it's a developed skill. Tom, we're going to introduce a new segment on this show with you Uh-oh. this year. Uh-oh. Yeah, look out. And we're going to call it Tom's Tip of the Week. And we'll have a section on nextonthetea.net dedicated so people can go there and see what you're teaching us and look at what the whole season was like and all the things that you helped us do better, all your little pearls of wisdom. <coughs> and tip number one, and I understand you recently made a change in your bag for a club that's more forgiving and easier to hit. Talk about what that club is. So Chris, I, I've always been a big believer in fitted golf clubs. Uh, you know, and I, I've, I've worked for a lot of really talented fitters in my life. Uh, the guys at Pete, Pete's golf on long Island, when I was on, in the New York days, uh, Woody Lashin was my fitter up there and I, I miss him very much. And they, they were really talented and they really steered me down the correct path as far as understanding club fitting and, and the importance of the aspects of club fitting. And now in Naples, Woody's on, you know, twelve hundred miles away, and I've started a relationship with the fellows of Club Champion. Um, and there's a guy in town here, Ian Person, who's the manager of Club Champion in Naples, and I kind of leaned on him really hard. He does all Rocco Media's clubs, and there's a lot of guys on the Champions Tour. Uh, and I went to him recently and said, you know, Ian, I'm I'm thinking about making a change. Am I crazy? Um, and, and I had a hybrid in my bag that was, you know, you know, as, as you know, all my clubs are titles clubs, and, and it was a good it was a good hybrid, and I hit nicely, but. I didn't launch it very high and I, I really had trouble with front pins and, uh, and and I just felt like the sweet spot was not as forgiving as I'd like it to be. And I said, am I crazy thinking about putting a seven wood in my bag and, and could I dial a seven wood into the distance I'm hitting this hybrid to and what could I launch it higher and, and could I, you know, is it more forgiving? And he, and he said, yes, it is. It would be. And we did a little experiment. We came up with some specs and I went to my folks at Titles at the factory, and they, and they, they built a club for me. And it came in about two and a half or three weeks ago now. And it's been a game changer. Um, at 64 years old, uh, I don't have the speed I used to have. And I've got to have a club on longer par fours and longer par threes that I can hit uh, with a lot of confidence. And, and, you know, when I don't hit a dead center in the face, still get something out of it. Well, the comparison between that and the hybrid I had in my bag has been remarkable. I mean, the ability to, to, to fight the ball, the ability to miss hit a golf shot and still get some kind of result that I can play has been phenomenal. So I've made this change. The hybrid came out, the seven wood went in, and it's been, it's been really beneficial. And I think for the average player out there to find the golf club that they can play from longer distances that they have that kind of confidence in and hit it up in the air so they can land it on the green and keep it on the green is a, is a, is a huge factor. Um, so having your clubs fit and going to somebody that's really good at that skill, because fitting is a skill. Yeah, I mean, we have track man, but the a guy like Ian Persings and a guy like Woody Lashin have the ability to take track man data and then based on their long-term experience, tweak that data a little bit and find that first perfect combination of golf club head, loft, shaft, flex, weight, torque, uh, all these different factors, and put it in somebody's hand, um, it's a real skill. It's a real skill. 
Tom, before I let you go, you know, I've got Jim Gallagher Jr. joining me next. You guys played against one another when you were at Florida Southern. I wanted to get your memories of Jim. Jim Gallagher is, is um, and I don't I haven't seen Jim in ages, but please say hi. First of all, Jim Gallagher always impressed me as, as a, just a absolute class act. Uh, people might've forgotten how good Jim Gallagher was, but let me refresh your memory. As a college player, as an All-American at Tennessee, he was a really good player. One of the best college players in the nation um, for a number of years. And, and, and uh, he put more beatings on me than I was forced enough to put on him, no doubt. Um, <laughs> and then played the tour, was on a Ryder Cup team. How many wins did he have, Chris? On tour? Five, five, five on the PGA five, Tour. Five on the PGA Tour. I mean, and now he's transitioned into, uh, into the world of broadcasting. And I think he does a phenomenal job, brings great insight. Uh, he's, he's very golf centric. He's got a very, very high golf IQ, but more than all those things, he is a, a just a quality human being and, and, uh, please give him my best. Cause, uh, he was, he's one of my all time favorites and one of my favorite memories of college golf. There you go. Will do. Before I let you go, my friend, you got to remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with you and all the great things you're doing, whether it's following you on your website or on social media? Uh, you know, the easiest way is www.tompatry.com, Chris, but all, all the things, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all those platforms there. Um, and uh, I'll be at Crown Colony 75% uh, of the time this summer for the first time in 44 years, staying in Florida, doing a few golf schools out of Florida, around the country, a couple of speaking engagements up in Westchester County, New York in July. Uh, I'm actually doing a speaking engagement in, in a restaurant in July in Westchester County with a guy named Joe LaCava. So oh, that'll be a, that'll be a I've heard that name somewhere. Yeah, he's, he's an old friend. Him and Freddie are old friends. Um, so that'll be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. But before I let you go, my friend, you're the best at what you do. It's a privilege to be on with you 70 times with you. You should be getting rid of me and getting somebody else with some talent on here. Um, <laughs> but thank you, God. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, please give Jimmy my best, uh, my love to him. He's, he's just a wonderful guy. And, and you're blessed to have him on. Yes, I am. I, I couldn't agree with that more. TP, thank you, my friend. You're the best. I'm, I'm excited to share another season of the show with you. And uh, stay safe out there. And uh, we'll catch up in a couple of weeks. Peace, brother. See you, man. That is the great Tom Patry. TomPatry.com. And follow him on Instagram at TomPatryGolf. Be sure to subscribe to his YouTube channel, Boatload of Free Playing Lessons, available for you there. I just I, I love the man and already looking forward to what we're going to talk about uh, when he comes back on in a couple of weeks.